everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Houndstein Center's podcast series, Off the Stage. My name is Maddie Miller. And I'm the media specialist for the Houndstein Center. Today on the podcast, I get to interview Dennis Rasmussen. Dennis, thanks for being here today and surviving this winter storm we're having. Thanks for having me. And I'm, I live in Syracuse right now, so it's no problem at all. <laughs> yeah, so you're used to it. You're used to it. Um, so we're going to start off today with some questions from our BOQ, which stands for Bowl of Questions. Um, so for those listening, these are co- questions that were submitted via social media. And Dennis is going to pick a few at random to answer. And if you who are listening are interested in submitting some questions for our future speakers to answer during the podcast, follow us on social media at GVSU and be on the lookout for a post at asking for submissions. Okay, so you can reach in and grab the first question, read it out loud, and then you can answer it. Okay, first question is, what keeps you calm when you're speaking in front of a crowd? Um, that is an excellent question. I, I don't have a good, you know, uh, picture everybody naked, whatever, nothing, <laughs> nothing like that. Um, I, to, to be honest, I've been teaching for, I don't know, 17, 20 yeah. years, I don't know, for a long time. I've been speaking mm-hmm. in front of groups for a very long time yeah. now, so I, I don't get so nervous in front of crowds anymore. Um, I guess I did at the beginning of the, my career. Um, Ah, unfortunately, I don't have any tricks to, to yeah. share. I, you just keep doing it, and eventually, it doesn't. It's not scary at all. Honestly, anymore. maybe that's the trick right there. Yeah. Just keep doing it. Yeah, there you yeah, go. Yeah, that's a great one. All right, and then I think there's one more question. Okay, in let there. me grab the last. Um, the last, last question, question from our BOQ. Okay, <laughs> last question is: Are you an early bird or night owl? Have you always been that way? I am definitely an early bird, okay. uh, which makes it unfortunate. My flight was delayed. I didn't get in until yeah. after midnight last night. So, the, oh so that, that, that didn't help my, my early birdness. But yeah. I'm, I'm an early bird. I have a nine-year-old son at home. So, uh, you know, I've been used to getting up early for, mm-hmm. for quite a while now. Have I always been that eh, Not when I was a teenager, but yeah. For yeah. most of my adult life, I've been an early bird for sure. Okay. And what's like your morning routine? What things do you like to get accomplished before you go to work or whatever? Well, it depends on if I'm, uh, you know, taking my son to school that day or whatever. Yeah. But I, I like to get a workout in in the morning if I nice. can. Go for a run. Yeah. Especially go for a ski if I can in the wow. winter in Syracuse. I'm a, I'm a big cross-country skier. That's so, awesome. Yeah. That's really cool. Well, thank you for answering those questions. So now we're going to transition into some questions um, more geared towards your life and how you became passionate towards um, the topics that you are. So first, let's talk a little bit about your childhood. So tell us a little bit about where you grew up, um, what your family was like, and what you were interested in, like, did for fun growing up. Okay, so I grew up in Lansing, just down the road. Wow, I'm, a, I'm a fellow Michigan. Michigander. <laughs> I, I went to Michigan State as an undergrad, so go green. Yeah. Um, so growing up, uh, you know, I did reasonably typical you know my my parents and sister and I um I was big into sports I still love sports I love watching sports um you know again go green uh I I would say go lions but that's that's harder to (laughs) that's harder to to, to really get behind um you know I to be honest my my childhood kind of academic interests don't really track my current ones I was more into math and science and uh I actually started off as a chemical engineering major as an undergraduate, yeah. um, so it wasn't really till midway through college that I mm-hmm. uh, kind of started taking the path that I'm on now. Um, I was never super into politics or, or you know, social studies type stuff yeah. as, an, uh, as a kid, so yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. So I guess a follow-up is, so I saw that you received your bachelor's from Michigan State and then your PhD from Duke. So how did you decide then what to major in, which you already kind of talked about that you may- maybe switched, um, and then tell us a little bit about how you, what how you decided what to do for your dissertation for your PhD. 
Okay, so how did I switch from chemical engineering to political theory, which yeah. is a big switch. I had that many people ask one. me that, that at the time. Um, like so many of these, these things, it was, you know, a class, a professor that really drew me in. I took a, a course in, in political theory. So this is at uh, James Madison College. Uh, mm-hmm. Some listeners might uh, know, know the kind of public affairs liberal arts college at, at Michigan State. Yeah. I just had a fantastic course and, and fell in love with it. And as yeah. soon as I encountered it, I... I couldn't imagine doing anything else. Mm-hmm. I thought, you know, this this is what I want to do with my life. So I, uh, you know, quickly dropped the chemical engineering stuff mid, mm-hmm. mid-semester and, and started picking up all the, the political theory I could. Um, as you say, I went to, to Duke for graduate school. So my dissertation and then first book were on Adam Smith and Jean-Jacques Rousseau, so 18th century Scottish and, and well, Swiss-French thinkers, mm-hmm. um, and in particular on Smith, uh, who's often seen as the kind of... Uh, um, ideological for, forefather of capitalism. I, I think that's okay. an exaggeration, but you know that, that's how he's often seen. Yeah. But kind of Smith as a response to Rousseau's criticisms of capitalism, or, mm-hmm. or of what they would have called commercial society. So I, it's similarly. It was started with a course. I wrote a term paper on the the two of them and discovered there wasn't that much scholarship on them, and thought, well, that, that's a that's a hole to fill. It's something I'm interested in, so I'll. I'll start there. Yeah, that's awesome. So you kind of mentioned um, one of your books, and now I think you've authored five books. Is that correct? Um, So I actually got to ask this question to a few other people on this podcast that have also been authors. Um, Was writing a skill that you've learned over time just because of your profession and doing research and whatnot? Or have you always loved writing and you just kind of got lucky to use it in in your profession? Um, I guess more the former. Um, As I say, I was more science math guide, so I didn't spend a whole a lot of time writing in, in that way when, when I was younger. Um, but I really enjoy writing, and I feel like I've gotten quite a lot better <laughs> over yeah. time. So my, my first couple books were, you know, I hope, you know, clear and, and so forth, but written for a scholarly audience. They're very much academic mm-hmm. books, whereas the, well, the last two that have appeared and then, then I have one coming out in the spring are very much geared toward a general audience trying to reach to um, not just fellow scholars, but a, but a broader public. And I, I've really enjoyed writing that, that way. It's been been a lot of fun. Yeah. Do you ever have writer's block? Like, do you ever, and do you have like tricks to kind of get your mind going again? Um, no, I mean, what, what, I, I make sure I have a pretty solid outline of what, a, yeah. or, or sense of where I want to go before I begin. So I, I don't usually have that. I, my, my, one of my dissertation advisors when I was at Duke um, told me about a moment he had when, when he was writing his dissertation where he, he was looking at a, a blank page on a typewriter. This was still in the age of typewriters, <laughs> looking at a blank page and thinking to himself, why would any one word come next rather than another? Yeah. And happily, I never never had that quite quite that moment of crisis. Yeah, that, that is crazy. So I feel like when people are writers, does that, do you feel like you're also a big reader? I mean, I know for your profession, you probably have to read a lot, but do you also just enjoy reading? for fun or do you ever do like fiction or anything like that? Excellent. Of course. I mean, I love to read. I read more nonfiction than fiction, but I read some fiction. And I think reading a lot is one of the key things to make you a better writer, especially if you pay attention to it, right? So if you pay attention to a book that you're enjoying, you say, well, how is the book structured? How is it written? What, you know, what could I emulate from from this author so it's mm-hmm. um, 
it, it becomes a more active rather than simply passive thing when you're trying to, to you know, take lessons from it for yourself. But um, yeah, I always enjoy good writing. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, okay, the next question I have for you is you are a professor, like you said, and you've been for a few years. So I was wondering, what is the most maybe intimidating thing about lecturing in front of students? And then if I was wondering if you've ever had anything weird or crazy happen during a class or lecture huh. that you're willing to share, I yeah. guess. It's <laughs> an excellent question. I wish I had something right off the top of my head. Um, what's the most intimidating thing? Um, yeah, I don't know that I'm intimidated by by students, even by big big classes. Great. Sometimes there are you know there are worries about. Um, I teach hard books, really old hard mm-hmm. books, and you know trying to make it accessible to, especially when it's kind of introductory course. You know, 18, yeah. 19 year olds who are <laughs> encountering this kind of thing for the very first time. They've yeah. had nothing like this in in high school. Um, I do sometimes you know worry about am I conveying the ideas adequately because I really care about these ideas. I think they're super interesting and super important and so I, I want to do a good job conveying them. Um, yeah, crazy story. I'm, if I had more time to think about it, I might come up with something, okay. but nothing off yeah, the top of my head. Yeah, nothing off the top of your head. Yeah. Okay, well if it ever comes back to you, you can share. Okay. Um, so my next question is kind of similar um, in the realm of what you do. So I'm guessing that a little part of your job is staying up to date with maybe like politics and the news. Um, and for a lot of people, including myself, I um, view politics as kind of like confusing or gloomy or polarizing or, you know, whatever else. Um, so my question for you is how do you um, stay positive within that and um, separate your work um, and just in general separate your work with your life in order to catch a break? I see. Uh, so, yeah, so most of my writing, really almost all of my writing, has been on 18th century political thought, right? So I'm a political theorist and, you know, I'm a professor of political science. Mm-hmm. And, and so, you know, I, I always get the question, right, you sit next to somebody on an airplane and they say, what do you do? I'm a professor. What are you a professor of? I'm a political scientist. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, what do you think about Trump? And I always yeah. have to say, well, I, let's talk about the 18th century. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the, I, I don't, you know, I, of course I follow the, the news, I follow politics, and I'm mm-hmm. as interested as the, the next person is. But um, I always say I don't really have a professional opinion, right? My, my, yeah. uh, um, I, I'm more into the, the ideas of these old figures than, when, than what's happening today. Yeah. Um, but it does, I do think, or I do hope, give me a certain perspective where we get so caught up in the moment and we think each issue that arises is the most important issue. I've, mm-hmm. I've lived through now a lot of elections in my lifetime, and every single one I've been told it's the most important election <laughs> the, yeah. of, of our lifetimes. You know, they can't all be. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, I do think getting a certain perspective, right, trying to think of what the country has been like for the past 230 years, yeah. a lot of the problems that we've seen around us have always been there. We think, wow, it's never been this polarized. Well, you don't see senators beating each other on the floor of the Senate with canes and fire pokers, and that's yeah. happened, right? So, yeah. the, you know, the, the historical perspective sometimes, I think, allows you to, to um, take a step back and maybe yeah. get less caught up in the, the, the latest tweet. Yeah, that's a great perspective. Thanks for sharing that. Um, so the book that you get to talk about at our event tonight is called, for our listeners, um, Fears of a Setting Sun, The Disillusionment of America's Founders, which is focused on the pessimism, pessimism I don't know if I'm saying that word right, Yes, yes. yes. <laughs> um, of our founding fathers during the creation of our country. So I, when I read that, I will admit proudly that I, when I think of our founding fathers, I really do think of the musical Hamilton because <laughs> I've watched that more recently than I've been in a sure. college history course. Sure. Um, so my question first is, um, 
as a person who studies that part of history first, did you see Hamilton or listen to the soundtrack? Yeah, I, I've seen it on TV. I never, I never saw it live, but okay. I saw the, the t- televised version. Yes. Yeah. Okay, so my follow-up question to that is, what were your ov- overall thoughts on it as far as how it, the characters and the historical narratives themselves were portrayed? I thought it was great. I thought it was super entertaining and for the most part well done. That you know They, of course, have to condense some things and simplify yeah. some things for, for, for that um, uh, to, to make it into an entertaining musical. Yeah. The one biggest bone I'll pick, and okay. this relates to my um, next book. I have a book coming out in the spring about one of the least known um, but most interesting of the founders, a guy named Governor Morris, who's okay. the guy who actually wrote the Constitution. So this oh. is, you know, most American school children can tell you that Thomas Jefferson wrote the Declaration of Independence, mm-hmm. but even extremely well-read Americans have no idea who wrote the Constitution. The yeah. answer is this guy, Governor Morris, who's an incredibly colorful figure. He was a peg-legged ladies' man with a really wicked sense of humor. He was a staunch opponent of slavery, the, the most staunch opponent of slavery at the entire Constitutional mm-hmm. Convention, but also a rather unabashed elitist in lots of other ways. Mm-hmm. Just super fascinating figure. So my next book is about Morris. Morris was actually Hamilton's best friend. He was the one who was there at Hamilton's deathbed. He's the one who gave his official eulogy. After Hamilton died, his his wife Eliza said to Morris, you're you're the best friend he had in the world. And he has not even a single appearance in the musical. It's such a missed opportunity. We could have this peg-legged guy running around on stage. It would be so great. Yeah. um, Yeah. Wow, I would have never known that. That is such a great perspective. And I'm curious. I'm like, man, we got to talk to Lynn Manuel <laughs> exactly. Miranda about I've that. I've got some notes for him. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> maybe his next next musical or revised or something. Yeah. Awesome. Well, you kind of mentioned this in the beginning, but even though you are from New York, it's fun to see that you um, are somewhat of a Michigan sports fan. And particularly, you said Michigan State and right. then also the Detroit Lions. <laughs> Alas. I would just love to hear your thoughts on the football season so far for both Michigan and um, the Detroit Lions. Not Michigan, Michigan State. I, oh, I don't Michigan want to talk State. about Michigan. Yes, <laughs> yes, exactly. I also don't. I'm an Ohio State fan, okay. so I do not well, also Well, we have a common enemy then. Yes, yes exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, they, they've both been reasonably disappointing. Uh, you know, the Lions have won two in a row here. You know, Bears and Packers, yeah. that's, that's something. But, you know, I'm, I'm used to disappointing being a, a Lions fan. <laughs> yeah. um, Michigan State, I, I had higher hopes coming into the season. It looks like they might salvage a bowl if yeah. you know, we can beat Indiana this weekend, but um, you know, the, it's, it's not what we hope for going in. Yeah. Um, I'm also a big, because of my, my 10 years in Boston, I'm a big Boston Celtics fan, and the oh, Celtics yeah. are doing great right now, so yeah. I, I've got one thing to hang my hat on. That's awesome. Yeah. That's good to hear. Um, I also, my family, <clears throat> all Ohio sports teams, so we're also Cleveland Browns fans, okay. so we know <laughs> yes, there you go. very well. I, I'd put the Lions up against the Browns. But yes, yes, in a similar category, at least. Yes, that's great. Um, So I have two more questions for you. Um, One, I've actually asked this on previous podcasts, and it's been just a really cool thing to hear. But um, when you kind of think back about your career and just um, your years in your profession, who is someone um, that you've learned something from or has inspired you? Um, Maybe a mentor or student or whatever. Sure. So he's now retired. He's been retired for, uh, I don't know, Five years, ten years—I I don't yeah. know exactly how long—but a guy named Dick Zinman was the one who who taught the class I, I mentioned, uh, you know, uh, yeah. earlier. Um, that that kind of inspired me to to want to be a political theorist. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was amazing. He really kind of. Uh, took me under his wing and told me, you know, all about what political theory is and why people study it, and, and kind of, um, you know, 
yeah, just took so much time out of his his life to 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 mentor me when I was coming for, as a chemical engineer. I mean, I was the, I was wasn't even a, a James Madison College student at that point. So um, he's always someone I admired and wa- wanted to emulate in the classroom. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Thanks for sharing that. And then our last question for you is. Um, what advice you would give to somebody wanting to go into a similar profession um, that you are in, which is, you know, writing books or researching or being a professor? Yeah, so it's a tough gig now. I mean, it's really hard, you know, it's now often hard even to get into the best PhD programs. And even if you get into the best PhD programs, it's really hard to get an academic job. It was hard when I came in and it's even harder now. You have to, you know, be really impressive, publish a lot to um, to, to even get the job, much less get tenure at the job. So um, only do it if it's something you're really passionate about Mm -hmm. and, and, um, yeah, you can make it work, but you've got to be willing to... to, um, stick it out, maybe take some jobs in places where you don't necessarily want to be or, you yeah, know, uh, yeah. th- that kind of thing um, for a while till you can, can get settled at a place you like. But yeah. um, as I say, I, by the time I, I encountered political theory, I was so crazy for it. I just couldn't imagine doing mm-hmm. anything else so that, you know, if that's your mindset, then go for it. But if it's just, you know, uh, kind of a side hobby, then, then find something, yeah. <laughs> find, th- find something else to do. Yeah. That, I feel like passion is so important yeah. and, you know, pursuing a career so that's great advice um thank you Dennis so much for joining me today you are our fourth episode of this Excellent. podcast series which is like new this year so it's been really exciting and we're excited to um have you speak at our event tonight thanks very much for having me I appreciate yeah. it Thank you for listening to Off the Stage Podcast, a series produced by the Hauenstein Center for Presidential Studies at Grand Valley State University. The Hauenstein Center, inspired by Ralph Hauenstein's life of leadership and service, is dedicated to raising a community of ethical, effective leaders for the 21st century. For more information on our center, our Cook Leadership Academy, or our Common Ground Initiative, visit our website at www.gvsu.edu. To keep up with our current events and reoccurring initiatives, you can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, or LinkedIn, all of which can be found linked below. If you liked this episode, consider giving us a review or rating so we can be found by other podcast listeners. Again, thanks for listening to Off the Stage Podcast.